Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Zoman behind the net, but we got a fight away from the play. It's Dakota Joshua and Nathan Beaulieu. Yeah, yeah, a little energy boost. Uh, shout out to BX. I hope he, hope he uh, watched that one. Elias Pedersen to the red line on left wing. Centers for Kuzmenko going to the goal. Shoots, he scores! The hat-trick goal for Andre Kuzmenko. He's first in the NHL. We're never going to turn down a win. We don't have enough of them. But, uh, I mean, the offense, you know, was going well. I don't know that a beak is going to do the work that a bulldozer might need to. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. Everybody, it is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, A-Dog. Good morning. Good morning, Laddie. Hello, hello. Hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are also coming to you live, as I mentioned, from the Kintech Studios in rainy Fairview Slopes. In Vancouver, Jason, tell the folks more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big show ahead. Big show ahead. We're going to be an hour free of guests. That's right, just Alfred and Bruff in the first hour of the program as we look back on the Canucks and Ducks and Kevin Bieksa night last night. Good night last night at Rogers Arena. Uh, guests are going to start at 7 o'clock. Brady Henderson, ESPN, NFL Nation. We will look ahead to Seahawks, Cardinals, NFC West. Can the Seahawks continue their dominance over the division? We'll talk to Brady about that at 7 o'clock. We can also talk to him about Geno Smith being the runaway leader for the NFL's MVP. Maybe Jalen Hurts. But still, Geno having a tremendous year. Offensive Player of the Month. We'll talk to Brady about all that at 7. 7.30, Kevin Woodley, NHL.com, In Goal Magazine. We will look back on last night's 8 Five win a, a 13 goal masterpiece between the Canucks and the Ducks. We'll talk to Woodley about all that. We can get into some goalie stories locally and around the NHL as well. Eight o'clock. It's the Moj. It's a Moj hit at eight o'clock. I think you know what we're going to be talking about with the Moj. That's uh, the Stamps coming into BC to take on the Lions Sunday. BC Place. CFL playoff action returns to BC Place for the first time since 2016. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday at BC Place. We'll sell you your seat, but you'll only need the edge. Yeah, it's going to be good, though. You're going, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you going to get a little pregame brunchy poo? Uh, I called it brunchy poo. Did you just call it brunchy poo? Yeah, yeah there's... Uh, I regret nothing. <laughs> maybe, yeah. There's there's there's, uh, there's uh, $4 mimosas, $5 Caesars outside of BC Place. Now, I'm going to suggest... That because it's a football tailgate and it's outdoors, you probably aren't going to have the mimosa in a, in a flute, like a classy champagne flute. 
I bet it'll be in like a red solo cup. Yeah, probably. But I bring my own though. So <laughs> he, he comes. I bring them. Ruff has his custom fit mimosa cup. <laughs> yeah, just on his belt. Every... He's got a holster, mimosa <laughs> holsters. Oh, I don't know. Who's ready for brunch don't. season? <laughs> Eight o'clock, Moj. Seven thirty, Kevin Woodley. Seven o'clock, Brady Henderson. That's the guest lineup. Uh, you know what? It's actually a pretty quiet night in sports tonight. It's setting up for this big weekend ahead. Uh, there's only two NHL games. Um, there's not a lot much else. There's 12 NBA games if you want to watch the Hoopies, but there's no there's no baseball tonight, obviously, because the World Series is now shifting back to Houston, and there's no um, there's no football tonight as well. There's no CFL action, anything. So it's a quiet sports night. But yesterday was big. Uh, the Canucks played, and a bunch of other NHL teams did as well. So without further ado, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was. We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? I should also mention that it's Ask Us Anything Friday, and we're going to do our Play Now Locks of the Week. Okay. Canucks win! Canucks win! Canucks win on Kevin BX tonight. Andre Kuzmenko with his first NHL hat trick, all of which occurred in the third period. Uh, he had four points. Elias Pettersson had five, count him five. And Bo Horvat had yet another multi-goal game. Vancouver Canucks, 8-5 in what I, I will continue to classify as a 13-goal masterpiece. 8-5 win over the Anaheim Ducks at Rogers Arena on what was a fun night on Thursday at the Raj. Yeah, I think overall the Vancouver's top six came through, whether it was at even strength or on the power play. Uh, you mentioned the goals, Horvat, Pettersson, Miller had one, and Miller's goal was off a nice pass by Horvat. And then the big story of the night, besides Petey's five points, was Kuzmenko's hat trick. Uh, Petey and Kuzmenko have been really good together this season. Uh, Mikheyev has been with them often. Of course, he missed a few games with injury, but uh, Petey's line is almost always Vancouver's best line. The, the guys that are doing the most out there, um, early in the season, they probably should have scored more. Uh, do you remember how many times that PD's line mates had great opportunities to score but couldn't finish? Mm-hmm. It's good to see Kuzmenko finishing now. Three goals, that's pretty good. Um, you know, it was sloppy hockey, let, let's be honest. I know you kids like it sloppy. Uh, and the Canucks once again struggled on the PK, but the game did have lots of goals. It was fun. It was, I'm sure, the uh, the fans that went there that saw the BXS ceremony and then get to get to see a 13-goal a game with eight of them coming from the Vancouver Canucks. Felt like they got their money's worth. Um, so, you know, the Canucks are better than the rebuilding Anaheim Ducks, who have one of the lowest payrolls in the league. So mm-hmm. so that's nice. That's, that's, that's a nice thing to know. We uh, do know that now. We do, it was confirmed last night. We do know that now. Um, of course, the day was a lot about um, Kevin Bieksa. And before the game, um, or during the day, he gave a speech to the Vancouver Canucks. And is there such thing as a loaded speech? Because <laughs> Bieksa was sure to say afterwards, and he mentioned it a few times, that he wasn't there to lecture the Canucks, mm-hmm. which made me think that he was asked to lecture the Canucks. Right. That's what someone <laughs> that was asked to lecture yeah. the Canucks would say. And, uh, you know, I, w- I want to play some uh, some of that speech. I'm sure a lot of you have heard it already. Um, and we'll get to Bruce Boudreaux's comments about what Bieksa had to say 
to the Vancouver Canucks, but to me, it it all seemed somewhat orchestrated. Do you guys agree with that? Was it all a bit orchestrated? What he had to say to the Vancouver Canucks? It definitely it? felt very, very pointed. Like you could totally tell the message he was going for at the team. Like even as you said, he wasn't like, "Oh no, no, this isn't a lecture," but he was looking right at them. Like, yeah. you need good work habits. Yeah, he's like, "I don't want to lecture you guys, but the first part of my lecture is going to be about culture." Yeah. House of cynicism this morning. It was such a, it was such a pure organic moment. And Kevin BX is speaking from the heart on a day where he got to come back home. Yeah. With his son in attendance and all some of his former teammates in the room. <laughs> and Jason take... Bruff putting a damper on it. Yeah, and he's like, look at this puppet. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't think he's a puppet. A, a puppet. He's I, not I, a puppet. I, I think he's I think he knows what the issues have been with the Canucks. I, I think he is quite clear yeah. that there is something going on in that room. Here's what I'll say. I think that yesterday Kevin Bieksa felt like he might have been able to help the situation. And maybe some coaches and some management are like, yeah, Kev, couldn't hurt. And Bruce Boudreaux's like, you're not listening to me. You may as well try and listen to him because he played with some of them. I think it might have been something along those lines, perhaps a little bit more structured. But the point remains, what BX has said was, one, really spot on. But two, I'm glad finally someone talked about culture in more than like these sort of benign, nebulous terms. Like, you got to be good. Like, he actually said, what does culture mean? And I don't know if we've got this in the clip, but we want to play some I hope of it, so. right? Like all the, all the, yeah. When he went through the roles of each one on the team, like if you're an energy guy, you're in the gym. I hope, I hope that, yeah. So let's play this because he was asked. His whole theme was like people ask me all the time, "What are you most proud of in your time in Vancouver?" And he went on to explain that in in not a lecture. Best time of my career was being a Vancouver Canuck and being in this dressing room, and like I'm walking in here with Cole. And Cole grew up here, like Cole and the Sedin's kids. They grew up like on the floors when they were young kids. And we have so many good memories in this room. You know, the finals, obviously, right? But winning game seven against Chicago. And, and you know, the President's Trophies won back-to-back President's Trophies. A lot of great memories in here, but like a lot of tough memories here too, right? A lot of tough losses, a lot of, you know, missed the playoffs twice in my career. Um, and all those tough things, they make you stronger and they make you really enjoy the good times. You have to go through them, you have to get stronger and you have to endure them. And people always ask me like, what are you the most proud of from your Canucks career? Like it wasn't the cup finals, it wasn't scoring the biggest goal in franchise history. (laughs) It was, but honestly, I joke around about that. It was honestly, the most proud thing I am is the culture that I helped build in this room for about eight to 10 years. And I knew it was special because when we had guys come from other teams and we had Bo come up and everything, guys would tell us, like, this room is special. You guys have something good here. So how did we develop that? It wasn't like just me and the twins and Luongo. It was probably like, I think it takes like three to four defensemen, one to two goalies, and six to seven forwards of ultra-competitive guys. Ultra-competitive in your own right. Like, are you a net front guy? Well, you're the first guy on the ice tipping pucks every morning. Are you a shooter on the flank? Well, you're a guy who's on the ice every morning shooting 100 pucks before practice, right? Like, that's what the skill guys did. That's what the Kesslers, the Burroughs, the Sedins, that's what they did. Are you an energy guy? You're in the gym. You have, like, your mandatory workouts, but you do more. You go above and beyond, so you're the best conditioned guy. You're the strongest guy. Your body's not breaking down from all the contact. You hone your craft. You take pride in what you do, and you work your doing it and that's what makes everybody a better team 
and then you keep each other accountable. If everybody's doing that, the goalies are on early, everyone's working at their profession, and you battle each other in practice, and that's why we were a great team for eight to ten years, and that's why we had a great culture. He went through a lot there. Yes. And, uh, again, he wasn't lecturing them. But he, <laughs> he sure seemed to – he was laying out some examples of how to uh, build a culture. It seemed to me that the um, understanding that you go in when you deliver a speech like that is that has to be built, that it's not already there. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, listen, we, we've, we've talked so much about culture – um, in, in the last really year since Jim Rutherford and Patrick Galvin came aboard, we talked about it a bit before, but when the new management came aboard and it was clear that they didn't think there was a very good culture here, well, we're going to talk about it. And that seems to be, uh, an issue that remains because part of culture is being prepared to play games. Part of culture is sticking together as a team, even if you don't get along with each other. And I want to play some comments from Bruce Boudreau afterwards because he was asked about um, Kevin Bieksa and a few of the things that he said is that, well, Bieksa would, would always stick up for his teammates. And he made a comment that was like, even if he didn't get along with them. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, he, he, you know, I think Drantz asked a follow-up question to Bruce Boudreau and said, uh, does your team need to understand that more? And he had a pretty interesting answer. So, Laddie, um, you know these clips. Can you take us through them here? Because Bruce Boudreau, after the game, um, obviously he talked about um, the win and the, the production from Kuzmenko and, and Pedersen, but this night was really about Kevin Bieksa, and I think we'd be remiss as a show not to not to talk about that. Yeah, here's the clip. The first one a bit longer about the, the BX experience and then the follow-up after the question from Thomas Drenz. He's a competitor, and to win you have to compete. You don't have to be the best friends or uh, in practice. you got to make things happen. Like, I, I remember him in Anaheim. I mean, he would go at guys, and, and, uh, but it was, that's how you get better is when you compete harder like that. And um, that resonated uh, with me um, because I saw it happen live. And, I mean, just the competitiveness of him, you know, I mean, uh, again, saw it for, you know, for a season. And it was, uh, it, well, more than a season. I was against him for, you know, quite a few years too and didn't like playing against him. But when you see that he would jump in for every player, he would, there was no friend on the team, whether he got along with him or not. If if that guy was in trouble, he was a teammate. And, and I think uh, that thought of teammates being together is what makes it win. Well, we certainly want them to understand. I mean, uh, the minute, and I'm not saying we don't. Uh, don't get me wrong on this one. Is But the minute when we understand it is everything is about the team and everything is about winning and nothing is about individual stuff, then we'll be a really good team. So that was kind of weird at the end where he was saying, like, I'm not saying we don't do this, but once we do understand it, then we'll be a good team. But they don't do it and they don't but, understand but it. They, so <laughs> yeah. So which one is it, Bruce? He just didn't want to say it out loud. No, he, he didn't. Uh, so with the with the win last night, the Canucks catapulted a bunch of teams. They're out of the basement, folks. The basement now belongs to Columbus. What a bunch of losers. The nah. Canucks are up to 27th out of 32 
leagues. Take that Columbus, St. Louis, Anaheim, Arizona, and San Jose. So what we're about to see moving forward now is that you could make the argument that the Canucks have, I'm not going to go this route, but look, the Canucks have won three of four. Um, and if you start looking at some of the offensive production of some of the top end guys, the numbers play out like they're having really good years. Like Patterson has been very good, and he was tremendous last night. And Patterson Kuzmenko might be a thing moving forward. It feels like they get a little bit better and a little bit more comfortable with each other. Oh, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's yeah. a thing. It's been a thing. All season. And well, Kuzmenko of- had a long stretcher where he wasn't producing. Now, granted, long stretch was like four or five games, but he he's got really high and really quick burst offensive abilities. We saw last night, like he scored all of his goals in like a, what was it, twelve minute span in the third period. The happiest guy in the rink wasn't Kuzmenko. It was actually outside the rink. It was a dog was the happiest guy. <laughs> oh man, I was losing it at home. Yeah, I was having a blast. Also, Bo Horvat, second, tied for second in the NHL for goal leaders. So here's with a Eric, stat. With Eric Carlson. Here's yeah, a, Connor McDavid's got 12, Horvat's got 10, and so does Carlson. So Carlson broke a record, by the way, last night. That yeah. was set during World War II, apparently. That's how far it goes back. Pre-World War II. Pre-World War II. Yeah. Insanity. He's got 10 goals in 13 games for the Sharks. That's unreal for yeah. the defenseman. Uh, Bo Horvat has 10 goals. More uh, interestingly, he has three straight multi-goal games, thanks mm-hmm. to the empty netter last night. He's just the third Canuck all time to do that. The last one to do it was Alexander McGillney in 95-96. The first player to ever have multi-goal games in three straight games, Petri Skriko in 1987. So uh, Horvat, can, honestly, I joked yesterday that Horvat's going to score 70 goals in a contract year, which is good for your negotiating prowess. Yeah. And then he scored the empty netter, and I, I updated it to 80. I do think that there's a very real possibility that he's flirt if he keeps his pace, even not this pace, he will not score a goal a game. Let's just is that fair to say? Bo Horvat's not going to be a goal a game player this well, year. Well, who's being negative now? Yeah, yeah not, right. not with that. Attitude. Now I'm being yeah. cynical as well. Um, he, there's a real chance that he could be flirting with 40 goals. If they continue to have to play this way, they needed all eight of those goals last night. It wasn't a blowout. <laughs> they needed all eight of them. They're they kept so, it interesting right up to the end. They're eh? so bad defensively. And it's you know what's refreshing? They're bad defensively, bad penalty kill, and let's be honest, Spencer Martin didn't play very well last night. That's the refreshing part is it's always something new. Like it's not just one thing defensively that always lets them down. They always come up with a new way where you're like, I've never seen that before. A new surprising failure, or it's a new guy that plays really bad defensively. Like I guess yesterday was Riley Stillman. Was that the agree- everyone was in agreement? But does there? it matter though? All they got to do is score equals the game, right? That's easy. Fine. It's easy enough so, with the offensive power yeah. that they have. This is kind of what I expected from this team where it was like, well, we'll have to outscore our problems on a regular basis. What I did not expect was for the goaltending to be this leaky because yeah. right now it's it's almost like they need to get four a night just to be in games, right? Like, I don't know. I remember I wagered, I think it was the Seattle game, a buddy of mine, we may have been drinking, uh, uh, dared me to wager for a Demko shutout. And I'm like, you know what? This could be the night. This could be the night. Demko's, you know, he's had a rough season so far, but he's coming in. They really need this win. It wasn't even close. I think he maybe came close to making it out of the first period with a shutout, but that's it. They are, they, they're bad defensively. They're not getting any timely goaltending. There's a reason that they're right down there with Columbus for goals against. But look at, the, again, look at that. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to be laboring this point, but look at the top of the scoring leaderboard right now. Pedersen has 15 points in 11 games. Horvat has 13 in 11 games. Kuzmenko and Miller are point-of-game guys. You have four guys at forward that are scoring basically at a point-of-game clip. No, and- if, 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 you were, if you were to tell 
someone that after 11 games, Petey would have 15 points in 11 games and that Horvat would have 10 goals in 11 games and JT Miller was back to, you know, point a game guy. Oh, and that new Kuzmenko guy, like he's he's panned out. He's got great he's got great chemistry with Petey. You'd be like, oh, they must be off to a great start. Well, they are not. What's the opposite of that? That's kind of where they're at. Although and, they did win last night, so that's give them credit. And it has to do with their defensive play, their PK, which remember was one of the major things that buried them at the start of last season. Is is it worse than last season? It must be worse. It's fifty seven point six percent right now. After 11 games, 57.6%. Now their power play is good. It's almost 31%. Offensively, the, offensively, their Canucks are a top 10 team in the league. Mm-hmm. You got no problems with the way that they're putting the puck in the net. You're having many problems with the way they're keeping the puck out of the net and that they're not doing that ever. There are only three teams that are allowing more goals than the Canucks. The Coyotes, the Blue Jackets, and the team they beat last night, the Anaheim Ducks. We can talk for 10 seconds about Anaheim. Uh, they stink. That's a bad hockey team. They are not good. None of that was good. John or Gibson. John Gibson. John, but he didn't look good. Well, he gave up. <laughs> he gave mean? up seven goals. And then That's, he gave up. He just, just, just kind of gave up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he had the, the, the second Kuzmenko goal on the Myers redirect. There was like, you could actually hear his body language, like the air deflating out of his body as he looked behind him and the puck trickled in. Like he was done. So here's a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. After last night, can you still trade Bo or do you send other players like Garland? Well, I, don't, I think those are two separate things. I think the Canucks probably explored a market on Connor Garland and didn't really like it in the offseason. Uh, the question is, can you sign Bo? Really? Uh, he's going to be really expensive to re-sign. Um, he's the captain of a team that has a problematic culture it does it just does mm-hmm. uh to quote Kyrie, and that's true and that was true i speak on my truth i am a beacon of light <laughs> and uh and do you really want to uh lock in this core even further right like this this team is still not good like last night was fun it was entertaining man that was sloppy hockey that first period was dreadful hockey it got more fun it got more entertaining but that's not that's not playoff caliber hockey. You know, that's 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 not even just missed the playoffs caliber it, it, hockey. It pretty much got entertaining the moment Shorty on the broadcast said that it was a low event game. The moment he said it out loud, the game was like, "Oh yeah." Well, he said it was a, a low event start to the third, <laughs> yeah. and then eight goals got scored. <laughs> the game promptly decided to become a very high event match. And it was uh, it was interesting to watch play out. I'm, I'm not lying. Like the third period, even though it was a tire fire at times in terms of structure and defensive uh, prowess or lack thereof, it was interesting to watch play out because that can't be your identity. Some parts of that I think you can take is with their identity. I think if the Canucks are looking for what they are as a team, it's we need they need to strive to be a top five offense, top five power play, and, and be and realistically be that because they do have the talent to do that with the guys that can score the puck. Now, I do want to circle back to what BX has said because there were a lot of interesting takeaways. And I said, I was really glad that he talked about specifically what it took from individual players to add to a team culture instead of using terms like buy-in or all-in or whatever, where you're just like, well, what does that mean? What are the individual aspects? What are the details? The fine print, the nitty-gritty. 
And he started going down the list of what guys need to do. And it almost sounded like to me, no matter what your role was on the team, there was two things. One, you knew exactly what that role was. And two, your primary and sole objective was to be as good in that role as humanly possible. So if your goal was to get in on the forecheck, win board battles, and fish the puck out for other guys to do stuff, then it is, as he put it, your craft. That is all you focused on. You didn't go and spend a lot of time uh, working on you know shootouts or tipping pucks in front of the net because that wasn't your job. You do those things, but when you're putting in the extra work, it's about what is going to give me a 3 to 5% edge in certain moments of the game where I do this thing and all my teammates are not just relying on me, but expecting me to do it so that they can be in the positions to capitalize on me winning a board battle, for mm-hmm. example. That that is take that asks a lot of guys because there has to be a sense of humbleness and humility. No one wants to be the guy to do a lot of the dirty work so other guys can have the fun. But when you find guys that can do that and take their job so seriously that they want to be the best at it, that's when all the other guys start looking around. They're like, well, what is my role on this team? It also takes leadership and it takes belief because everyone in that locker room has to look around and go, I respect people in this locker room. I know that they're going to do their job, Mm -hmm. so I better do mine. And I know that if everyone does their job, we've got the potential to do something special here. So so it takes a lot. It does take a lot. It takes belief and yep. it takes potential. So Horvat, um, you know, this is, a, this is becoming a more and more tricky situation as every day goes by. Because if you think of what's going on right now, uh, Bo's playing out of his mind. He's scoring goals at an almost, for him, unprecedented rate. He needs a contract. He's the captain of the team, and we're having these open and lengthy conversations. We're not even saying the quiet part out loud anymore. We're just talking out loud that there's – clearly, everyone that looks at this organization is like, culture's a problem. And what happens when culture's a problem? They look at the captain, and I just wonder at the end of the day if all parties looking at this are going to, at the end, say, it's time for a fresh start somewhere else. And I think Horvat might even welcome it at this point. Do you think there was any guilt in that room when Bieksa – was talking to them. See, here's the How thing. How do you think Horvat felt about that? It probably felt like crap, if we're being honest, because he's he's going to be 28 years old relatively soon. He spent the duration of his career in Vancouver, and oftentimes, through no fault of his own, yeah. he was playing on crappy hockey teams. And he's talked about how it kept him up late at night, and it ate away at him, and he hated losing. But he he's listening to a guy talk about a culture that the team used to have yeah now I want to point this out too I was listening to of all people Larry Murphy on the way in this morning and I guess maybe it was karma or something because he was talking about culture because you'll remember he won two Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh with Lemieux and Yager and then another two in Detroit with I mean take count of the Hall of Famers there Eisenman Federoff after he got run out of Toronto right (laughs) and they're like well what what did culture mean to you and he astutely pointed out that um the culture conversation is often strengthened by having unreal players. Yeah. That's the big X factor in all of this. Is because that, you need the belief. Right? Now, I'll say this. I think maybe the reason that this management group or some people within the organization think that there's still hope for these young guys is because Pedersen will still show you flashes where he looks like an elite player. 
And that really, at the end of the day, is where the the modern NHL, I think, is trending. It's that a leader has to be a guy that everyone looks at. And what you're talking about is like, can that guy get us to the promised land? And oftentimes, it's a talent thing. I, mm-hmm. I get there's hard work and there's heart and there's the rah-rah speeches stuff. But there's also, is that guy one of the best players in the league? Because that's what, that's what it comes down to, really. There's so many really elite players. And you saw two of them in the Western Conference Final last year in McDavid and McKinnon. And the reason that those guys are leaders and, you know, prominent forefront guys is because they're unbelievably talented hockey players and they're driven to be the best. Yeah. And that's really sometimes as simple as it is. Yeah. You're like, I could ride the coattails of this guy to glory. (laughs) He's really good. (laughs) I just got to go to the gym a little bit more. So these are all conversations that I think are still going on. But the culture thing, uh, make no mistake, that's a conversation that ain't going away. Until someone has the belief that the Canucks have it. And right now, I would say that they don't. But can they get it with this group? That's the big question that remains to be seen. And I think that's why you saw management go back and forth on, are are we going to build around these guys? Maybe they're not ready yet. It's all very interesting. We can talk about this on the other side. We're way up against it for time for a break. Uh, We're not going to have any guests until 7 o'clock. We're going to do some football talk today, okay? we got a big Seahawks game on Sunday. We have an even bigger BC Lions game on Sunday. So Brady Henderson and the Moj are going to join us to talk about all of that. It's a big sports weekend. We have a lot to look forward to. A reminder, uh, we got Ask Us Anything. I'll tell you more about that on the other side because uh, it's going to be a contest today for more Canucks tickets. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. The salute Jason Zucker did when he scored. I was reading some comments. Some people like it, some people don't. I love it. Thank you, Jason. And by the way, Jason, keep working on your shot because it wasn't hard enough. 6.35 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. So that voice you just heard was Yarmir Yager, the ageless Yarmir Yager, who may have just gotten out of bed when he recorded that. So I don't know if you you saw it the other night, but the Penguins were playing the Sabres, and it was reverse retro night. Uh, did you see first the Sabres jerseys? The white pants. Is it, was just too, it was too white. Yeah. It was too white. I don't. I don't mind that. It was like a Dave Matthews Band concert. It was too white. Um, it was. It wasn't great. But anyway, the, the Penguins were wearing what are they called? The Robo Penguins, the ninety one, ninety two Robo Penguin yeah. shirt yeah. that was made famous by Yager and Lemieux. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jason Zucker scored on a one timer whilst wearing the jersey, and then did the old Yager salute while wearing Yager's old Robo Penguin jersey. Yager saw it and then recorded that. that the video. rumor is he came to the ring dressed as Yager. Yeah, you you dressed up. As yeah. A, dressed oh, I didn't. I didn't see that part. Yager. I just saw the salute. Oh my god, are you dumb? <laughs> what? That's what? what Andy did. What, that's what are you a, talking about? That's a oh, that was the joke you were making. Oh, oh my god, I did not see that part. Laddie, do we need to split off from these guys? I think so. That's, Let's just that's have a trap thing. Here. I got trapped. I mean, he dressed up like Yager. He wore a mullet. So okay. gold. Wow. Anyway, uh, okay. He anyway. That was the video. The audio there. He did the salute. That's all we got there. Uh, Halford and Brown for the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we ta- spent a lot of time in the first segment talking about the Vancouver Canucks. A reminder, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets, and I want to make sure I get this right, Saturday's game, uh, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena, against the Nashville Predators, who beat Calgary last night. By the way, Calgary's sputtering a little bit. 
Uh, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets today. Instead of for the best what we learned, we're going to do it for the best ask us anything. Okay. So hashtag it AUA. That means ask us anything. The premise, if you're unfamiliar with this show, I shouldn't really have to explain it, but you can ask us anything. Literally anything. And we'll try and answer it as best that we can. Now, there's a key point to this. Put a ticket emoji on your Ask Us Anything. So hashtag AUA and a ticket emoji. You will be entered into a grand prize draw to win a pair of tickets. This is the Canucks and Predators tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. Boom. Done. Let's move on. Where do we begin? Yesterday, there was a million games in the NHL. It was actually 13. And uh, there were two really interesting results in Alberta. There was Boston. Boston's 10-1, and one, which is amazing. There were a lot of games to dive into. Let's start time. Let's start in Alberta. Um, the Nashville Predators are the Vancouver Canucks' next opponents. And they went into Calgary last night and beat the Flames 4-1. to one. And all of a sudden, this Calgary Flames team that started out so well, and everyone was like, well, looks like they didn't take long to gel or didn't need long to gel and find that chemistry. All of a sudden, they're kind of scuffling. So Calgary right now is on a season-long eight-game homestand. Were you looking at their numbers the other day, talking about the disparity and how many games they've played at home already? And this is because their schedule is ridiculously front-loaded, which includes this current eight-game homestand that they're on to start the year. Right now, Calgary's three and four. So they've kind of pissed away this great opportunity to, to have a, a, bulge, <laughs> bulge, a bulge in the standings. They really haven't done it. And what's more... They got beat by a Nashville team that isn't very good itself. Now, the, the, the story on Nashville, as I understand it, is that when they opened the season overseas playing in Switzerland, uh, the team kind of picked up a you know team-wide virus, and everyone got sick. And they've come back, and with the adjustment from coming back from Europe and everyone being ill, they've really sputtered as of late. Uh, actually, prior to last night, they had lost seven of their last eight. Uh, they were 1-6-1 and one over that stretch, so it's not like they came into Calgary on fire. It was actually two teams that were sputtering quite a little bit yesterday, but interesting to see. They rebound. Nashville gets the win behind Kevin Lankin in, in net, and now they come into Vancouver, and if you're looking at it from the Canucks perspective, you're like, we're getting a team that, yeah, they got a win in Calgary, but they've been losing a lot. They haven't been playing especially well. They're still getting over a team-wide well, illness. That, that's an opportunity to get your fourth win in five, honestly. I also think it's interesting that the goalies for each team, Saros for Nashville and Demko for Vancouver, were considered one of the big strengths of each team. Neither Demko guy. for Calgary, sorry. Sorry? You said Demko, or so you said Dem- Demko for Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm right. He plays for Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting that both those those guys were considered major strengths for the team, and neither guy has played well. Saros doesn't have very good numbers at all. So we'll see on Saturday what the Nashville Predators look like. The Calgary Flames, meanwhile, on Saturday, we'll see that New Jersey Devils team that outclassed the Canucks and last night went into Edmonton against an Oilers team with all sorts of firepower, and it looked like they were going to fall. Leon Dreisaitl, with his sixth of the season, at uh, 9.26 of the second period, made it 3-1 for the Edmonton Oilers, and it looked like the Oilers were going to win that game, not necessarily comfortably, but a two-goal lead heading into the third period. Who blows those? Well, it seems like everyone in the NHL (laughs) blows those, and the New Jersey Devils got three goals, including two seven seconds apart 
With less than four minutes remaining in the game, Ryan Graves scores, and then right off that faceoff, yeah. John Marino with another great pass to Jesper Bratt, who has a billion points this season, and he scores with just over three minutes remaining to give the Devils a 4-3 lead, and they went on to win that game 4-3. The Devils are now 8-3-0, and and they are giving themselves some cushion in the standings. And when you combine it with a struggling team like Pittsburgh, for example, you're kind of looking at it and going, man, I... The Devils are looking pretty good to make the playoffs right now. It's I, I, early. It's early. Things could still go sideways. But, you know, if they get – I think the Devils are the type of team with the start they've got, the way they've played, the speed that they play with, mm-hmm. that the only thing that could sink them are crazy amounts of injuries or horrible goaltending. Hor- I'm talking horrible. Yeah. Average goaltending, league average save percentage will probably get it done for them. I think we have officially reached the stage where we have to pay attention to the Devils. They've been completely irrelevant for the last, I don't know, six, seven years. Where well, we, ca- we had a joke, right? Yeah, they're fun to watch, too. Like, if, you know, I mean, they weren't fun for Canucks fans to watch the other day, but some of the goals they scored were terrific. I just keep going back to that power play goals that they scored, and granted, it was horrendous penalty killing by the Vancouver Canucks. Still an issue, by the way. Yep. Uh, but it's just, it was just clean passes and, you know, east, west, cross ice passes. It was, it was interesting to well, watch they, and fun well, to watch, frankly. They're young, they're fast, and they got a ton of skill, right? And you just look at it, it's Heesher Hughes Brat is a really dynamic big three. And they just don't have the name or face recognition yet because they're still up-and-comers in the NHL. Here's the interesting thing about that game last night. You talk about character victories. So what happened there was, you mentioned the Dreisaitl goal. Dreisaitl's goal came after Blackwood got hurt and Vanacek came in, and that was the first shot that Vanacek faced. It was a goal against from Leon Dreisaitl. It was 3-1. And if you watch the game live, the reaction when... Dreisaitl scored was just kind of this confident nod, like, okay, that's the that's the dagger right there. New goalie, stone cold, we just scored on him. We're going to be okay here. New Jersey comes out in the third period. Really, and you wouldn't have blamed them for laying down and being like, okay, this isn't our night tonight. Let's pack up and get ready for Calgary. They're down 3-1 going into third. They got a, the backup goalie had come in off the bench cold. Miles Wood scores really early in the third period. And then they get those two bang bangles. And the second one, I was watching the Oilers post. Tyson Berry was like, that's a set play off a faceoff. I don't really know the ins and outs about drawing this up on the old whiteboard or the grease board or whatever. But he's like, we try and do it sometimes and it doesn't work. (laughs) And they said, but they did it. And it's because they executed it almost flawlessly. Like win the drawback, you mentioned the Marino pass. And then seven seconds after they tied it up, Jesper Bratton on a breakaway off a faceoff. Those are the marks of a team that is really good. Mm-hmm. That they just don't get phased by, oh man, like our goalie just got hurt. Or, oh man, we're down 3-1 against McDavid and Dreisaitl going into the third. Part of it, I think, is they're young and they don't really know any better and they're just kind of finding their way. Yeah, they're finding success and they're having fun doing it. But that's interesting because they're really young and they're really talented now. I'm sure they'll face adversity during the season and we'll see how they deal with that adversity, right? Yeah. Now, we talk about these young up-and-coming teams and it's great and everything, but here's the thing. The best team in the NHL is a bunch of old dudes. <laughs> and that is the, that's the Boston Bruins. I don't even know how to describe what they've done to start this season other than... They're 10 and 1. They have 20 points and 10 wins. 
through the first 11 games. It's the greatest start in franchise history. And I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but this franchise has been around for a long time. Guys like Bobby Orr and Esposito and great names, countless names. And this is the best start they've ever had. Plus 22 goal differential. And they're not in 11 games. And that's the thing is they're not just beating people. They're beating them thoroughly. So they go in to New York last night, Madison Square Garden, take on the Rangers. They win 5-2. They completely dominated the Rangers. They outshot the Rangers 17-3 to in the second period. Like, it was an onslaught. And 5-2 probably doesn't do it justice. Laddie, you look like you're ready to jump in. You look like you're all excited. Well, I was going to say, Mikey DiPietro from the, the basement to the penthouse. What happened? He got traded. I, I know he got traded, but did he dress? Isn't he in no. AHL with Providence? He's with the Bruins organization now, who <laughs> okay. are 10 that, 1 no to start like, the was season. He is, is, was he is, there is, last night? Was he there last night? Is Mike slow this morning? I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just not explaining things very well. Did today. I not just have an adequate reply that he's not with Jeremy the NHL Swayman team? is injured now, so there is a chance that DPS so, could be called up. Yeah, but he's like fifth on the depth chart there. <laughs> I'm, just <laughs> telling, I'm just making a he's, point, he's, Mike. He's making a little joke. He's yeah, making a little joke. If the Bruins are the best team in the NHL, the second best team might be in the Canucks division. And they are the Vegas Golden Knights. They won again last night. They are 10 and 2. And if you look at this Pacific Division, Vegas is first. Don't do it. Edmonton is second. The third place team might surprise a few of you. Any guesses? Seattle Kraken. The Seattle, Seattle Kraken. Kraken. Martin Jones with a shutout yesterday. Yeah. This, North this, the yep. Seattle Kraken actually looks somewhat legit. Uh, there's a massive if hanging over this team, and that would be goaltending. Martin Jones, though. But if you look at their underlying numbers, they're pretty encouraging to start the season. Uh, the Kraken are 6-4-2. and two. They've got a positive goal differential, a plus four. Um, this team might be, I'm not going to say it's very good, but it might be good. I wonder if that loss to the Canucks lit a spark. I really do. I don't think they've lost since. They beat Pittsburgh the game following. Then they went into Calgary and beat Calgary. Then they went into Minnesota and thumped the Wild, the 4 nothing Martin Jones shutout. I don't know what to make of them because you watched the game as, probably as closely as I did when the Canucks went in there and beat them. And there's talent for sure, right? I think there's, and there's really good offensive talent. I think Matty Beneers is going to be a star. But there's a... There's a sense of unpredictability about them. Like when I watched them play, and I watched Jones especially, and the Canucks scored five goals. I was like, this does not strike me as being a overly strong defensive team and one that still continues to have suspect goaltending. But since then, they've given up five goals in three games, including mm -hmm. the shutout last night, and against good teams going into tough places. Now Calgary isn't all that tough right now, but Minnesota was playing great prior to last night. So that's going to be interesting because the teams that you mentioned on the outside of the Pacific playoff picture right now include Los Angeles, who was a playoff team a year ago, and Calgary, who was a playoff team a year ago. So it's, it, the division is good, maybe even better than we think it's going to be if, if Seattle ends up being this good. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Vegas right now, I all due respect to Edmonton, the best start just in terms of record and how impressive they've looked is the Vegas Golden Knights, who got another win last night as well. Uh, Josh, in his video van, let's end the first hour with an Ask Us Anything. Josh asks, if you could go back in time and watch any game at any time in history, which would it be? Josh says, mine would be watching the 1915 Vancouver Millionaires just to know what it's actually like to experience a Stanley Cup. Not sure I'll live long enough to see one. That's too far back. You know, I don't know if the celebration when the Millionaires won the Stanley Cup 
would quite match up. It was probably like, yeah, we that's that's good. <laughs> I'd like to watch the very first Olympics, the very first one. That's like, a very interesting answer. Like go all the way back. Like be, like 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 greased up naked Greek guys wrestling. Like isn't that what the first Olympics was? Well, it's Pretty interesting. Sure. You focus specifically on that. <laughs> I'm mostly talking about. Well, you what know, were you focusing on? The chariot races? <laughs> well, yeah, that'd be cool. Oh, were there were there chariot races in the first Olympics? You you need to give a I'm little say, details. I'm going to say when was the first without, Olympics without looking up any detail whatsoever. Oh I'm going to say yes, there was chariot races. And there were probably a lot of other cool events that you don't see anymore now, and I'd like to check it out. It'd be why pretty, don't you? Why don't cool. you? Okay, I got an assignment for you. Oh God! Uh, you're gonna tell go back in time gonna, to no. the first <laughs> you're build gonna, the time machine. You're gonna get on that little computer you got of yours, and you're gonna Google what was the first Olympics like. What were the events? Where was it held? When was it held? Were there chariot races? Did people wear clothes? <laughs> Back to the naked wrestling for a second. Yeah. Let's focus 776 BC. Uh-huh. It was held at Olympia. Okay. A yes. Site, hey, site, wow. in, a site in southern Greece uh-huh. where people went to worship their gods. And uh, that's all I got for you right now. Okay. Well, you're going to have to give us more okay. on the first ever Olympic Games. Yeah. There's also the first modern Olympic Games, like the the IOC and actual events and not, quote unquote, naked, greased up Greek guys wrestling. The 1896. 1896, yeah. yes. So I don't know if you want to go back that far. I don't want to go back to 1915. It feels like it's too close to the depression and the plague. I don't want to go back that far. Yeah. You know what? You got me thinking yesterday about... Well, hold com- on. Are we going to talk about which games we go back to? Is yeah. that what you're doing? Okay. Yes, that is what yeah. I'm doing. Yes. All right. <laughs> um, we talked yesterday about missing out on game six in Vancouver. 94. Like, imagine, 94. Yeah. I think I was very curious. I wonder going back to that one, how deliriously happy I would have been because the things I remember about that game were uh, the guy, remember the guy running on the ice and sliding at the end, just pure euphoria. Yeah. Just he's so happy that the Canucks have sent the Stanley Cup to Game 7. And everyone was expecting the Rangers to dominate the series and get it out. And the, that particular series was like the Canucks just kept punching back mm-hmm. when they had no real reason to keep fighting because they were like they were tired and Lyndon was beat to like beyond death. And they just they were such underdogs and everyone was just waiting to crown the Rangers. I think it would have been amazing to be at that game in retrospect, knowing what the future was going to be like. Yeah. Like, folks, it's going to be grim for like 30 years. There'll be a blip where it'll be really happy. And even that's going to end badly. I think I would have liked to have been there for that euphoria. I really do. Uh, the ancient games included running, <laughs> long jump, shot put, javelin, boxing, pank, pankration. I don't know how to pronounce that. And equestrian events. So there and you naked go. wrestling. And, and yeah, the pictures make it seem like a, not a lot of clothing was worn. <laughs> <laughs> so that's important to Are know. Are you going to get in trouble for you doing this on no, a work No, computer? no. It was... Uh, no, no, this is all very tasteful. It's because... Oh, yeah, oh, the equestrian events did include chariot races. There we go. It's because they didn't want any of the... Uh, combatants to get jerseyed like in a hockey fight exactly pancration right? was basically they hadn't, they hadn't invited the invented the uh the fight strap that's why you greased that yourself point. up too you yeah grab on i've never heard a less factual segment in sports radio <laughs> history oh pancration was a primitive form it's of martial basically art previ- yeah, it's, it's yeah. primitive mma 
It cool. was, but it was only <laughs> was Dana White there. It was only wrestling and boxing, basically. Put okay. together. So that's what you'd choose. That's what you'd well, go back be, to. Be, yeah, I wanted, be, you'd be I dead so within questions. five seconds <laughs> yeah. of getting off the time machine. <laughs> no, I'd be worshipped as a god. Are you kidding me? I got my ticket to the Olympics, and I've been eaten by a lion. <laughs> Just bring a taser, and you're good. No, uh, that's by far one of the more interesting answers we've ever had. Well, yeah, I mean, for an ask us anything. You know what? I, I, the history I, around it. I think I'd go to Game Eight of 1972 Summit Series in Moscow. That'd be pretty cool. That'd, that'd be an experience. That would be both like amazing in terms of because there are thousands of Canadians that have traveled, so you'd you, you wouldn't you know you'd have other Canadians to hang out with, mm-hmm. but it would be that. Don't you think it would be a mix of jubilation, obviously, sure, when Henderson scores, but also like, hey, how the hell are we going to get out of here? <laughs> this seems dangerous. Yeah, I think it just seems like when you when you see the 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 replays of those games. Um, you know, Alan Eagleson, like, didn't he walk on the, like, it seems so out of control. It oh, seemed yeah. like it was within, you know, like five seconds of like, what's going to happen? We're all going to go to jail here. Or like, do you know what I mean? Like it was oh. crazy. It was, it was absolutely out of control. I mean, for, for the youths out there and we're going to go down one, an entirely unnecessary road. Cause we're up against it for time. But two, this is also Bruff and I reminiscing about the old days. Cause we're old now. Well, we weren't alive for that, but no, but, but we video. remember in the, especially in the eighties and parts of the early nineties when we were in our formative years, but watching hockey quite regularly, the reason that it was like considered a niche sport and a garage league was because it was unhinged a lot. Totally of the time. unhinged, and and frankly, I, I miss those days a little bit. We all know why it's gone the way it does, but you you hear it from like Frege will mention it, um, Bob McKenzie will mention it. I remember talking to Bob McKenzie on our old station mm-hmm. and asking him. Do you think the NHL has ever been in a better place? Because we were talking about the skill of McDavid, this just how fast the game was, and I think part of it was that scoring was going up again. And he's like, "Eh, you know," and he just kind of missed he missed the old days when there were real rivalries, when there was real. Not to say that there isn't real passion right now, but, but I think you just you almost had to be there, like. It just seemed different. Like, for example, do you know what irks me a little bit? Bo Horvat and Connor McDavid doing a commercial together. Yeah, okay. That's fair. I get what you're saying. Like, it's, it's so com- silly. It's not like I'm sitting there going like, this is outrageous. And it should be, it's just kind of like, I noticed it, you know? Look at them. They're best friends. Like, Bo's I got an emu. You know, it's not going to keep me up at night. I, I, I'm not old man yelling at the clouds here, but I'm like, I'm like, wait, they're captains of like the Canucks and Oilers. Like. And they're like best buddies yep. on this. Like, I don't, I don't love this. No, I know, and I and I get it. I mean, again, just so we both sides every single argument to make sure that no one is happy and everyone is angry. Um, there's a reason it was called a garage league back in the day. It is that oftentimes that chaos would lead to, quite frankly, the games would get unhinged, and you had a lot of guys out there that playing hockey was not the primary objective. It wasn't even the secondary objective, right? And that's, I mean... I think there was more emotion in the stands because of that, too. That's true, too. Like, it, it, was, it, was, a, it yeah. was a real uh, roller coaster of emotions in the stands when things would kick off. Like, Wish used to talk about it because his dad was a devil season ticket holder in the 80s and early 90s. And he's like, the people that went there were going there for a particular reason. Yeah. One, you could smoke indoors. And two, <laughs> um, they knew that they were going to see a fight. Yeah. Or multiple fights. Mm-hmm. And that was a big lure to them. I mean, now, if you were to go out on the street in front of Rogers Arena 
and ask a bunch of people, just random streeters, and say, either are you expecting or do you want to see a fight tonight? I'd be very curious to see what the answers were and the percentage of who said yes and no. Anyway, we're up against it for time. We're going to move on to the National Football League, albeit briefly. We'll circle back to the Canucks. Don't worry. Uh, Brady Henderson, ESPN NFL Nation, Seahawks insider. We are going to preview another big game in an improbable series of games for the Seahawks where the next one means more than the last one and they keep winning and they're on top of the division and Geno Smith is the Offensive Player of the Month. None of it makes sense, but it's all really fun to watch. Brady Henderson, Seahawks reporter, Seahawks Cardinals on Sunday. We'll preview it next on the Halford & Show on Sportsnet 650.